What gets your attention? Let me ask you it in this way. What's a warning that you actually listen to? I had a coach chew me out in high school, JV scrimmage, basketball scrimmage. And he used my last name and he screamed out, Militzer, you're not closing the lane. And if you know anything about basketball and creating a press, you don't let anybody get through the lane. And even when I watch March Madness today, decades later, I go, well, of course, the guy never closed his lane. I can still hear that guy yelling at me, my coach. Does it get your warning when a police officer pulls you over? That happened to me in Payson, Arizona. Our kids were little. If you know where Payson is, north of Seattle, or excuse me, north of Phoenix. Yeah, you took a real bad turn there. <laughs> That's great. We were going to Payson, and I turned right in front of an officer, and he pulled me over, and our kids were little, and they said, you're going to jail, Dad. You get your warning. Maybe it's when you get a health report back, or maybe it's a midterm report card, or it's a warning light that comes on your dashboard. Warning, warnings come, and people react different ways. They keep proceeding with life. They keep proceeding with hab habits. They have a posture of saying that's no one's business, or kind of a hard attitude of you're not going to tell me what to do. The writer for the book of Hebrews, the series that we're in, gives us a warning. Now this should be as no surprise as we're understanding that the book of Hebrews is best understood as a long sermon. And so the section that we're going to wrestle with is a future prediction that is very, very sobering. And the warning is sandwiched in between, if you will, in an invitation and a reminder, and I'll explain that in just a bit. But let me first show you where we've been. Over the course of the last four months, we've used this virtual summary by an author in the UK, and I want to address your attention to uh, the back of the bulletin. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us. You can download this as well, too. But yes, we did get permission to uh, reproduce this. We've been in communication with the author. And it's been helpful, the different summaries that I hope have helped illustrate the major themes and the ideas of the book of Hebrews. And you'll notice, first of all, that we are to hold on to Jesus. What's unique about Jesus? Look at the first memory verse. Will you read that aloud with me? On your mark, get set, read. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is God's son. The other key theme that we know is that Jesus is our great high priest. Let's read the next verse. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now the overall theme for the book of Hebrews has been Jesus is greater. And so we've seen Jesus compared to a number of different people and offices from priests to prophets to angels to even Moses. And we're not going to take time to unpack all that, but you'll notice in this visual summary, you'll notice at the very bottom there a number of don'ts. And follow along with me. You'll see that these warnings have come throughout this sermon. And so warning theme hasn't been something that's been new. You'll notice that it says in verse 2, 1 through 4, don't drift away. Chapter 3, don't harden your heart. 
chapter 5, 6 through 8. Don't fall away. And the one that we're going to focus on, the one that we're going to focus on is the one that says, don't shrink back. Now, even as you see that warning, do you see another word underneath that warning? That's what I hope strengthens your soul. It's the word encouragement. So here's where we're going to go this morning. This message is entitled, A Sermon Full of a Bunch of Don'ts. A Bunch of Don'ts. Here's where we're going to go. First of all, there's a don't for the first seven verses. There's going to be a don't that's inviting. You go, what's that all about? Stay tuned. Then you're going to get the don't that's a sober warning. Very hard word. And then it's going to be wrapped up with a don't of a reminder. An invitation, a warning, and a reminder. I want to invite you to uh, find a copy of the scriptures and turn to page 1039, Hebrews chapter 10. I think you'll get more out of it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39. We're going to look at 20 verses together. There are some key words that you'll want to circle if you have your own Bible. And there's a word at the front and a word at the back. It's the word confidence. You just <clears throat> had that um, word that you just uh, said out loud just a few minutes ago. Did you find that? Page 1039. Now reading in Jesus' name. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more so as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but by my righteousness, one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You know, this is God's word. It's true. It's living. It's active. 
It'll long be true. Long be true. After we're gone and even into eternity. Let us turn our hearts and ask God to speak to us in a powerful way. Let's jump right in and take a look. I want to invite you to uh, turn with me to this online bulletin. Once again, uh, I hope that it's helpful for you to kind of process some things and write them out. Maybe make some notes and go back. Maybe even take those notes and put them in your Bible. But here's the first don't that we have. A sermon full of bunch of don'ts. It's this, don't miss out. It's inviting words. The language that's used for this invitation right away is that word that's therefore, and it refers back to what we came from. Explaining it this way, we have an eternal promised inheritance, and it's a reminder that Jesus' blood, his living way blood, he being the Lamb of God who had his flesh and blood killed for us, lives. Jesus didn't stay dead. Other altar, sacrificial lambs would stay on the altar, but Jesus didn't stay in a grave, did he? Two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the fact that Jesus rose, and he's victorious. He conquered sin and death, and he's very much alive, and Jesus will return any day. He's not just any priest. He is magnificent, gracious, loving, kind, holy, pure, once defiled and full of sin, but now holy for us. He is graceful. He is a befriender, and just one drop, listen to this, just one drop of his precious blood cleanses you and invites you into a lifetime process of being changed forever. The great British preacher, Alan Redpath, who died in the late 20th century, said this, the conversion of our soul is the miracle of the moment. The conversion of our soul is the miracle of the moment. But the manufacture of a saint is the task of a, life, of a lifetime. Isn't that good? The manufacture of the saint is the task of a lifetime. And this is where the first don't invitation comes. Take a look at verse 22. What does that mean? It means this, that we are to jump in the closeness of who the Lord is. In, in, if, you, if you jump over to verse 914, Hebrews 9.14, what the author does is he uses a tool called lesser to greater. And lesser to greater means if this is true, how much more so this is true. Look at what verse 14 says. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God? Let us draw near to him. What the author does here is he uses a technical uh, description or use of words called the horatory subjunctive. And you go, why do I care about that? For this reason, it is often used in first person plural. It's often the idea of we, us. He's inviting you to come and join. And isn't it interesting that following chapter 10, Chapter 11, what's chapter 11 all about? Chapter 11 is famously known as the hall of faith. And then Hebrews 12 has this athletic idea of a great cloud of witnesses, the church, of, the church triumphant that's in the heavens, that's received glory, and they've received their reward. They're the we, they're the us. And the author is saying, do this, you're invited. Don't miss this. 
Draw close to Christ because what Christ has done, that's the first invite. The second invite is this. The second invite is let us hold fast. Let us hold fast for what we know is true. And later, the next chapter, there's a woman by the name of Sarah, and she and her husband were given a promise, her husband Abraham, that out of Abraham and through Sarah, they were going to be, be a great nation, and they were going to have a child. Only problem is, they're pushing the upper 70s and upper 80s, way past childbirth. And the first time Sarah heard this, she didn't go, God can do that. She went, right. <laughs> she laughed. In fact, she named her kid Laughter Boy, or Isaac. Hebrews 11 says this, Sarah considered him faithful who had made the promise. And the big, biggest, the big reveal wasn't I'm pregnant with a boy. The big reveal was he's faithful. He made a promise. He can follow that promise through. You can bank on him. But the third one is one that's a little tender. The third invitation, the first one is come near. Let us come near. Let the we come near. The second one, let us hold fast. But the third one's a little tender, and that is let us consider not only meeting together, but spurring one another on. And the idea behind the word spur and means to agitate or to provoke or to sharpen. And it happens best in the body when we gather together. Yes, the church isn't a building. We gather and we scatter, but we are to gather. I want to be very gracious and I want to be very kind. I want to be compassionate in what I'm about to say and what I want you to hear me say. Skipping church is a 2,000-year-old habit, and it happened here, and it happens today. Some who watch and some who are not here wish they could be, but they can't come to church because of health, because of immunity compromise system, but there are others who just don't come. Maybe it's more convenient to watch. Maybe there's other priorities. Maybe there's schedules that dominate. Maybe they say there's better preachers on TV, which is true. There's really good preachers on TV, way better than me. Or they could download a podcast, and there's a ton of good ones. If that is you, please hear me out. Or if you know someone like that, a fellow pastor friend of mine gave me a lead on a book this past fall, and I printed the, uh, the, what the book is called. It's called, What If I F Don't Feel Like Going to Church? And you can buy it on Amazon. It's by Gunnar Gunderson. I gave him to all our elders this January, not because they were skipping church, okay? Just saying. But we read it together on our annual um, retreat, and there's an illustration that the author uses that I want to share with you. It's an illustration of an acorn. And just hear this. Acorns don't become oaks overnight. They grow because they stay in the soil. They stay in the sun and they soak up regular rain. Christians are the same way. We grow by staying in the soil of a spiritual community, feeding on the nutrients of God's word, being renewed by the spirit among us, gathering together around the gospels on Sunday or any other day. It's a main way God grows us. Plowing, sowing, watering, weeding. They are never spectacular activities. Neither is a room full of Christians on an average weekend or a weary weeknight. I love that. Yet full orchards and mature Christians rise and ripen from such wise repetition. In the Christian life, repetition 
is vital. Consistently meeting, consistently sharing, consistently teaching, consistently hearing, consistently praying, consistently singing, consistently serving. These are the secret weapons in our battle against sin. Invisible ingredients in the recipe of Christian joy. Subtle nutrients that nurture our spiritual health. Consistency is one of the most underrated weapons in our walk with God. Like an acorn buried in a field, consistency isn't impressive until one day it is. When we neglect gathering, when you neglect gathering, if you hear my voice, when you neglect gathering, you neglect the Lord's gifts. So my question for you hearing this message here who's gathered here is whom from our church are you missing? Whom from our church do you say, man, I don't see them anymore? Who from our church could you call and check in with and just say, hey, it matters that you're, you, I've missed you. I just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes right now and ask the Lord to bring someone on your heart. Lord, I pray that you use people like us just with a simple phone call or a text or an email or a cup of coffee to say, hey, it matters. And I pray, Lord, that you would grow your church, all these churches we prayed for, bless them. And we pray that you would use our church as broken and people as we are, pointing others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All these invites, these very first don'ts of don't miss out and invites, all started because of a little word in verse 19 called since. Do you see it there in verse 19? Since, this is what Christ has done. Because of his blood, he's opened up a new way. The author comes with a warning. Since this has happened, what happens when you repeatedly, deliberately sin against the Holy Spirit. This is one of four warnings that are there in the book of Hebrews. And the second don't is this. Don't do this. Don't deliberately, consistently, intentionally sin. That word means to have full knowledge, the idea of knowing the full truth and having the whole truth take a hold of that person. It's connected with the same idea that you see in Hebrews chapter 6, 4. And should one commit this sin, there remains no sacrifice as we abandon the Messiah in what he and he alone can do only. I invite you to uh, that Bible that you had. Turn to page 127. Let me give you, this just isn't what the, the writer for the book of Hebrews says, but you find it in Numbers chapter 15, Numbers chapter 15 on page 127. And you'll notice what the context is. There's eight verses that in Numbers chapter 15 are subtitled this, Offerings for the Unintentional Sin. Eight verses, Offerings for the Unintentional Sin. And it just lays them down. The, I didn't know. Sins of, we would say, omission that we didn't do. I wasn't aware of those. And there's a provision for those. But there's a hard stop when it comes to verse 30. The music changes. It's like a new character has come. And this is the intentional sin in verse 30. But anyone who sins defiantly. What does that word defiantly mean, Pastor Kirk? It means this, to brazenly violate. Or the King James says, to be presumptuous. 
One who sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreign-born, blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel. Defiantly, knowing that. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32 talks about the, the refusing of the Son of God and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 talks about the sin that leads to death. Now, please, before we go on any further, just have this reminder that when you get to verse 27 and you get to verse 28, any time that you come and it talks about that fury and the fire of hell, I hope that there will be tears in your eyes. Last spring when we did our series called Can We Talk About Hell More Than Just Flames, I tried to repeatedly bang this again and again. Anytime you talk about the wrath and the fury and hell itself, I hope there are tears in your eyes because you're talking about people. You're talking about spouses. You're talking about grandkids. You're talking about kids. You're talking about someone's best friend in eternity apart from the living God. Zephaniah 7 Zephaniah 1 verse 18 says, your silver and gold will not save you on that day of the Lord's anger. This is a warning. It should be a short-circuited, it can be short-circuited by repentance and by turning away from sin and saying, God, have mercy on me. If you're hearing this saying, I might have committed the unpardonable sin, let me say this, even that question that you ask of that, your heart is sensitive to the things of God but it's defined by unrepentant and deliberate sin by the rejection of the true doctrine of the God-man Jesus and chronic disobedience. There's a Lutheran scholar by the name of Paul Kretzmann, and he's been really helpful to me, and I want to read to you his comments. People that become guilty of this sin do so purposefully with deliberate intent. They go on sinning. They persist in their transgression. They have received the knowledge of the truth. They have accepted Jesus Christ as his salvation. Such people maliciously and blasphemously deny the accepted facts of sins no longer exists for them. The very nature of their sin has this result. For as this result, they have denied the offering of Christ, which they once received in faith. They have disregarded the only means of salvation which they have to expect. Therefore, it is the terror the terror of the last judgment of the final doom. What they must look forward to is the fury of the fiery of hell, which will consume and destroy them forever, throughout eternity. The adversaries of the Lord, the intensity of this punishment is such that it makes it impossible adequately to portray its fierceness. And once again, what we see in the Lesser to greater is used here in verse 28 and 29. It's a reference to Numbers chapter 35 to 30. You can't, you can't arrest someone for a homicidal death only on, one or only on one witness. You need two or three. And then the greater offense is this. What are you going to do when you disdain and mock and trample against the Trinity, against the covenant? and the covenant maker against the Son of God and against the Spirit of grace. Isaiah 33, verse 14 says, sinners, the sinners in Zion are terrified. Their trembling, trembling grips the godless. Who can dwell with the consuming fire? Who can dwell with everlasting burning? Kretzmann goes on to say, for them, 
it will be too late to fear from the wrath to come. Then the knowledge that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God will no longer be able to turn the condemned person to repentance. If we believers who are condemned by the law but have become partakers of the grace of God through the gift of the Holy Ghost willfully and maliciously deny the saving truth and grace and blasphemously spurn all offerings of salvation, we have no one but ourselves to blame if the terrible vengeance of God strikes us on the last day. The author is talking to the reader and he's talking to you and me and he's warning us. He's warning us. He's warning us. Don't do this. Short circuit. Short circuit by repenting and turning away from sin and saying, God, show me. Show me my fault. Show me my fault. Have I committed that? Holy Spirit, show me. To fall into a, the hands of a wrathful God is one thing. But to place our lives in the hands of Christ is a totally different thing. Think about the hands of Jesus and what Jesus did with those hands. With those nail-scarred hands. He reached Peter when Peter was sinking. He touched little Tabitha when she was dead. He touched a leper. He touched a blind man. Let Christ touch you and heal you and help you and help you turn from your sin. He can do that and he always does. That's his promise. Don't go there. It's a warning, a very strong warning. Here's the final one in this don't message. Don't give up. It's reminding words. The key word is the word endure, and it gives us a hint. It says that the righteous will live by faith. It's always been that way. Paul writes that in Romans 1, 17, and then Galatians 3, 11. It's always been that way. Believers live by faith with what we can't see now, Believers live by faith by the righteousness and the forgiveness of Christ, and believers will live by faith when we see everything clearly with Christ. It's always been that way. It's been that way in history. This phrase, the righteous will live by faith, that caused tremors in culture in 1517 called the Great Reformation. You may say, I don't care about history. Well, do you care about biblical history? In chapter 11, we see all the by-faith people. All the by-faith people. And this is one that we are encouraged. Why would you give up now? Why would you give up now? The author uses some very strong graphic words, almost graphic language, if you will. The first one is in verse, uh, 30, verse 32. It says, a great conflict and a great struggle and a great wrestling has gone on. The word for conflict means athletic. Now, in our community right now is the marathon. And if you're watching this later, it's the Eau Claire Marathon. And you never see people who finish the half and the full marathon coming across usually with their hair just super cool, not smelling like B.O. Oh, they, they, they cross the line. Some of them would collapse. I would probably throw up and die. Usually when they, when they work so hard, they say it was so worth it. I, it's so worth it. That's the idea, that we are in a conflict. We are in a struggle. We are in a fight. We are in a battle against, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. 
The next verse, in verse 33, uses another incredible word. It uses this word, and we were put on display. The word there is theater. Theater. It's like people were put on display and mocked. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. This week I talked to a pastor I was visiting with in Tucson, and he said, Kirk, he said, you'll just have to excuse me. I might get a little bit emotional. I just got off a Zoom call with some missionary friends who are in Ukraine. And he said, these missionaries are being tortured by Russian soldiers because they stayed behind to minister and to care for people. The word companion that's used in verse 33, it means koinonia. It means fellowship. It means that we care. Imagine when they say that our goods were taken. Can you imagine if you went home from church today and, and your home was ransacked, was pillaged? This, this writer here in verse 33 says, we, we recognize that. We recognize that and we recognize that our possessions are in a place, our inheritance is in a place that cannot be touched. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 is a beautiful verse to memorize. It tells us of the three uns of our possessions, that they are undecaying, undefiled, and unfading. We are, as followers of Christ, if not now, how long, I'm not sure, but suffering and hardships will come. The most famous sermon that was ever, ever preached how can you say that? Well, it was Jesus' sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And right after he goes through the Beatitudes that lots of people like to study and memorize, you get to verses 12, and it says, you will experience difficulties because of me. And the writer for the book of Hebrews says, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Why not? Because in verse 37, he shows his cards. He shows his cards. And it literally says, in a very, very little while, he'll be back. In a very, very little while, he'll be back. There's an illustration that I've used. I've given it to you before. It's, and I have tons of these around my house. I have them at my desk, my home office, my church office. I have them in my van. It's a reminder to me, oh yeah, very, very little while you're coming back. On the one side is this red. The red represents all of history. And I'm this little right there. Can you see it from where you're at? And the rest is a rope that goes through the sanctuary, all the way to the Twin Cities, up through Canada, around the North Pole. It's eternity in a little while. In a little while. Now the whole passage of Scripture was set up the whole passage of Scripture was set up with this way, with the word of confidence and a word of confidence. The word of confidence means, what does that mean? It doesn't mean, hey, God, you're lucky to have me. Woo-hoo-hoo, see how I'm doing. No way. The way that this word confidence means is that there's a boldness, a frankness, that I can go to my Father and I can lay out my concerns, my hardships, my difficulties, my struggles, my questions my doubts, my fear, my anxiety, my wonders, I can lay them out before. That's the confidence that we have. 
So friend, don't give up. Don't give up. No way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gathering that we've had. We have praised you. We have lifted up our voices to honor you. I thank you for this word, this warning word that comes from the writer for the book of Hebrews. And he tells us, don't go there. I pray that our church family would have tender hearts to the preaching of your word. And Spirit of God, I pray that you'll do the work that only you can do. Show us our sin. Let us turn from that. Let us cry out to you. And by your grace, and by your mercy, and by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us persevere, endure, because soon, in a very, very little while, you'll return. And man, that will be glorious. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Let's stand. We got one more song.